0: thank you Megan good morning I'm John Moore I'm one of the pastors here I get to say that now Uh, this morning as we get started before I say anything else if you would join me let's dive into prayer for a moment that the Lord would speak to us um, as we need this morning father as as we dig into your word this morning as we see more of who you are we ask that you would reveal yourself and your heart to us in a way that shakes us out of calls us to that shakes us out of our normal routines and calls us to reflect you more and more in the world around us Lord, we ask that as we hear from you that, that we would be convicted where we have guilt, not so that we can be ashamed, embarrassed, imprisoned, but so that we can receive forgiveness in repentance. And we ask, Lord, that you would only allow us to feel the conviction that you want us to have, that we would not be trapped by false guilt that doesn't actually belong to us. We ask this so that you would teach us more and more how to move out into your world in Jesus Christ, so that more and more people will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. In his name we come. Amen. Well, this morning, as we dive in, the passage that we look at talks about how God loves lost people and what Jesus saw as he was working in his ministry. But there's a challenge, like I just prayed. The reason why I did that is because there is often a challenge to us that we recognize that we do not share the gospel as we should, as much as we should in the best way possible. And there's a lot of shame that can go with that. So, as we get started, I really quickly just wanted to to point out one of the men in our church, Andy Pittman, who's sitting back there, is probably one of the most talented evangelists, the, the most gifted evangelist that I've ever met personally. And certainly one of the, the most gifted ones in our congregation. Andy, I'm curious, would you say in your own life that you have room to grow is there are there things that you still want to do better or be be more clear about be more effective about in sharing your faith okay if you didn't hear that he said absolutely so if andy can say that then that should tell all the rest of us when you feel that way that's okay It is understandable that you should feel like there's more that I want to do. I want to do some things better. There's even maybe areas in which God's gonna provoke me that I have sinned and how I did that. That is normal and that is right. The call there, like I prayed this morning, is that if God is calling you to repent, it is not to trap you in guilt and shame so that you don't actually do anything. It's instead to provoke us to find forgiveness and move on. I'm also curious, in your own lives, as we get started, what are some of the barriers that you find for witnessing? And this is, I want this to be interactive. If you have something on your mind, what do you find that are barriers to you sharing the gospel with other people? Just holler it out. Anybody? Asking, what will they think of you? So biblically speaking, you might term that as fear of man. Um, but just the the uncomfortable nature of having opening up that conversation and wondering what people are going to think of you. Anything else? Okay, not knowing how to do it naturally, so having a difficult time in transitioning a a conversation from other things into spiritual things and then into the gospel itself. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's fair. Anything else? them rejecting the message is that what i heard okay so yeah that the the hard thing uh, of that and and with that maybe not always but maybe also the fear that with that rejection of the message comes a rejection of you um that could also be part and parcel any others okay afraid to say the wrong thing and mess them up so in other words they they receive your message and that you didn't explain things as well as you could have it turns them off to the gospel something like that or gives them a wrong understanding of the gospel yeah that's understandable I mean you know the Bible does talk about not everybody should be teachers because of the dangers that go with that that's correct anything else yes Repercussions at work. What does that mean? OK, so as you share, then there's the, there's the possibility that someone takes offense and makes a complaint against you in a workplace environment because they've, they've felt that you were judgmental or, or something else, taking a moral stance, something like that. That makes sense. Um, These are all things and I'm sure that there's others the reason why I bring them up is because these are the things that can often run through our heads that prevent us from actually sharing the gospel but this morning what we want to do is elevate the message of scripture about God's heart because it's not the fears that we have that are going to help us. It's not answering the fears, it's going to see and reflect the passion that God has, the love that God has for lost people that's gonna help us. As scripture says, it is perfect love that casts out fear. As you're looking at Matthew, he's going through Judea and he's working as he's going. He's been doing all sorts of things in the previous in the previous text. He's healed people. He's called Matthew as a, as a disciple. Um, you have the stories of healing a paralytic, of healing a demon-possessed man, of healing those who have leprosy there's a host of different things that go on and then it's saying as he went in as he went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd so the first thing we want to look at is when it comes to god's love for the lost is what does he actually see when he sees these people In the passage we see a call on what we are supposed to feel when we look at those around us what jesus sees is first of all that they are shepherdless he saw them harassed scattered like sheep without a shepherd now, this, is, this has a specific callback to another passage in Scripture, to Ezekiel chapter 34. If you'll give me one moment. If you want to turn your Bibles, that's fine, but I'm just going to read it very quickly, starting in verse 1. This comes as a judgment from God pronounced upon religious leadership in... The nation at the time, against the nation of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, All shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep with none to search or seek for them. Sounds very familiar in, in the context of what Jesus was saying, right? And this, is, this makes absolute sense. that Jesus says that they are shepherdless. He is not talking about a just a general metaphor. He is specifically looking at the religious leadership in Israel at that time. In fact in the in the verses of the the rest of the chapter preceding this right we have this occasion repeatedly so when Jesus heals the paralytic man at the opening of chapter 9 he uses the phrase your sins are forgiven you and immediately the religious leadership reacts in horror that he would have the audacity to forgive sins because only God can do that they don't recognize who he is and he has that interaction with them. Like he knows their hearts and he says, well, okay, you think it's you, th- you think that's such a big deal. So let me prove it to you that I have the power to forgive sins, rise, take up your bed and walk and he heals him. Following that, he calls a little bit later, he calls Matthew. And Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees who come and say, well, why does your master, they on where righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, it's those who are sick. And then finally, just before this, and I mean immediately before this, in verse 32, you have Jesus healing a demon-possessed man who's been unable to speak. He heals him, and people marvel over that, and yet immediately, The Pharisees come back and say, oh, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So they're immediately challenging him. Just like those in Ezekiel 34, Jesus is pointing out that the religious leadership who should be shepherding the people are not. As I heard one commentator say, you have those who should be feeding the sheep who are instead behaving like wolves. They are preying upon the sheep instead. They are not guiding the people into truth. So he sees them as an, unguiding, an unguided people because they have no shepherd. They have no one directing them to the truth. The religious leadership should be pointing them to the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. Instead, they're constantly trying to draw people away from the truth of the gospel. And secondly, then he sees them as an untended people. They aren't looking to care for those who God has given to them. They aren't looking to feed them, to tend them, to to help them in their needs. That's why Jesus is going around healing the sick. He's going around caring for the poor. He's going around taking care of them. And the religious leadership is constantly giving him grief about that. Instead of looking at the needs around them, they don't see that. And they, they... they instead see an affront to them and a threat to their power and their position, and so they're trying to tear him down. So he sees them as being shepherdless. And he calls out the fact that they need someone who will guide them to the truth. They need people who will bring them to the message of the gospel, who will bring them to the reality of who God is and what he desires. And not only that, but he will also, they need people who will be taking care of their needs, their practical needs as well. He doesn't see that maybe as the principal thing, but that that is still part of it, because of course he's going around and doing those things. He's going around meeting people and their needs. Now think of the world that we live in right now, in our current circumstances, and the call of the gospel on us. Think of the people who are in in your own circles, people who you know, all the different messages and voices. How many true messengers of the gospel are those people hearing? Are they being told that the answers lie in political power or personal philosophies, other religions, success at work, Good health and good relationships, a host of all kinds of things. They're getting the same type of poor, shepherdless leadership and voices. And I would argue that in many cases, maybe not all, but in many cases, you wouldn't necessarily be able to put your finger on one other person besides you. Who you know could or would be willing to share the gospel with them, to share the true message of hope. Because that's the right hope. The other messages, just like the Pharisees, they couldn't provide truth that would bring life to these people. They could provide rules, they could provide systems, they could provide ideas, but none of it was ever going to satisfy. Only God was, only the one true God and the message of salvation through Jesus Christ is gonna do that. So, this morning, I encourage you to look at the people around you and feel the brokenness, the sorrow. Feel his compassion as he looks on those people who do not yet know him and sees just how lost they are, how little they have. And I hope that this will be a call to us to reflect that heart, to reflect that love and that compassion and say, I want to reach out, I want to help them, because I see apart from Christ, there is nothing that's going there is nothing that's going to work. Just metaphors. He's been talking about the shepherd. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now he starts using the metaphor of a farmer. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So now we turn from what Jesus sees to what he says to his disciples, which is a call for action. He tells them that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's an interesting statement, right? Given the fact that he's the Messiah, that he is God incarnate. And yet he's telling the disciples, we need more people. We need more people. It's, it's an oddity that, that we know that God doesn't need us in the sense that we add anything to his purpose. Uh, to, sorry, to his person. And yet, he commands and calls us to his purpose to the message of the gospel. And there was no other design. It's not like God had, had some other plan that primarily depended on the angels spreading the message of the gospel, and then, oh, that didn't work out so well, so we're gonna use people instead, because they're, they're right next door. No, the plan has always been for people to be his primary agents on this earth, for people indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And this even goes back to the Old Testament. This isn't new, this, this isn't unique to the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be drawing them in. They were supposed to be reaching them with the message of the one true God. They didn't do a good job of it. But, that was still the plan. And that hasn't changed now with Jesus. That hasn't changed under what will be the new covenant. The only difference is, is the fact that now, the Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. And so God goes out with us constantly at all times. And so, he calls the disciples to pray that God will send out more people, that God will send out more laborers. The plan was always for people, and and one of the roles that we have is to ask that God would raise up people in those, those people who you know, right? Those people who you are aware of who do not know Jesus, to pray that God will raise up people in their life to be able to speak the message of the gospel, that it would touch them, that it would hit them and make them want it in such a way that they will bow the knee to Jesus Christ and have their lives radically transformed through the message of the gospel. But he isn't just asking them to pray. It's important to note, to note that this passage ends with Jesus saying, pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Right? But the book doesn't end there. We go on to chapter 10. What's the first thing that happens in chapter 10? Jesus sends out those same disciples. He immediately is, the next thing that happens is he he is out into the field to reap the harvest. And then he turns around and goes, All right, now go out into the field. There was an implicit understanding when he says pray that you're going to be part of the answer to the prayer. That each one of us, as we are praying, we are also praying and looking for opportunities for God to work through us, for God to open doors, for us to have those conversations with the people that we know, for the strangers who we don't know, for us to go out into the field because Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there are people just eagerly waiting to hear the message of the gospel. Sometimes it it feels like there are many more barriers. And yet, this is what Jesus says: is that the harvest is plentiful. There's no caveats there's no hedging instead he says there are people out there who I am ready to bring into my family all you got to do is go out and find them and and so for us the call is to step out of our comfort zones to reach out into the world around us that is in desperate need and not only pray that God would bring people into their lives, but also pray and look for the opportunities that he's going to present. You know, he says that the harvest is plentiful. And I don't want to, I I certainly don't want to to sell the idea that like, if you don't go, people are gonna go to hell, all right? We believe in a God who is sovereign, who is drawing people to himself, and no one is going to go to hell just because you didn't preach the message. And yet, we are given these pictures of the gospel that explain urgency, right? Because if the harvest is plentiful, the, the fruit, as it were, the grain is ripe. It's ready to go. What happens if it doesn't get harvested? It dies. It perishes. So, so there is also, with that, that description, there is the notion that there are people who are perishing. If you don't go, it's not going to cause them to perish. Whether they whether they end up in heaven or hell will be based on the merits of Jesus Christ and the choices that they make, not what you do. But, but it is it is an issue of life or death and cosmic proportions. So it is worthy of our attention. It is worthy of our effort. And it's worthy of our time. I think that's one of the things that wasn't mentioned as one of the barriers this morning, but it's something I, I'd like to ask you to consider, is that because, the, because the, the call of the gospel says that we are to look for opportunities for God to work through us, one of the things that it challenges us to do is to not hold our time and our plans so tightly that we fail to see the people around us. Let me ask you this. Do you notice the people today um, and what they're going through? Do you notice the people who are around you at the gas station and a host of different other things? I don't think that it's any shock or any surprise if I were to say it It is so easy for us. And I'll certainly say it of me, it is so easy for me to get wrapped up in the things that I'm thinking about, the things that I'm working on with work, the stuff that's happening at home, that I don't notice the people who are around me, that I don't see them clearly, and notice if there are opportunities. And yet, I can personally say, you have no idea. I, there's, There's been, at least over the course of my adult life, a dozen amazing conversations that started in a checkout line somewhere, at a pizza place, at a grocery store, that started because, I don't know, well, realistically, I do know. It was the Holy Spirit prompting me. I'm hearing about what their family's going through the depression they're experiencing the fact that they experienced incredible hurt in a church and have not been back since so so many there's a host of different stories that have started that way a lot of times so much of it starts with just spending time looking to the Lord and being open for things to happen and I would encourage you to even maybe consider building in extra time into your day. If there are places you need to go, give yourself an extra five minutes so that when you get there, you're not immediately, oh, I got to rush in and make sure that I'm there on time. Um, Look for ways to try and hold loosely your plans and your schedule. As we close, I want to spend a few minutes just praying and contemplating. You each have areas in your own life that you you move, the circles that you move in. And if if you want to, you can imagine it like a target. Um, if you've ever done archery or any sort of shooting of any time, uh, type, especially competitive, this is where I need you to um, I need you to put aside your thoughts about that because you're thinking. It's easy for you to think about scoring, and that's not what I'm talking about. This is simply a way to, to give you a visual representation of the circles that you move in. At the very center, the yellow, you might have, you might figure it's your family. The people who who you maybe are closest to are the people who you move around nearest. The red, friends, people who you're regularly in contact with. The blue, neighbors, coworkers, people who maybe you don't hang out with a lot, but you know them, you see them on a regular basis. The black would be acquaintances, uh, people who you have met or you will periodically meet, maybe not a lot, or maybe strangers, the casual contacts that you have. And the white might be indirect. It's people who you think about, you're concerned about, but you don't know them directly. I mean, this morning we prayed for the Tajik people, right? So that's a point of indirect contact, at least for me. I don't know any Tajik people, personally. So yellow family, red friends, blue neighbors and co-workers, black acquaintances and strangers, and white, any indirect contacts. These are all the areas in which you have some measure of influence. And I'd ask you to take a few minutes before I'll close us in prayer to think about and see if the Lord would provoke to your own mind any people that he wants you to begin praying for or reaching out to. People who you know or are not convinced um, that they know Jesus. People who you know do not know Jesus or you're not convinced that they do. All right? And in just a few minutes, I'll close this in prayer, and we'll move on into our, our time with the elements of the Lord's Supper. We have received a gift that we could not earn. We had no hope, and yet you saw us in the middle of our sin and brokenness. You pursued us. You brought other people around us to tell us the good news of Jesus, to teach us so that we could understand the details of it to walk us through our objections and challenge our preconceived notions. And you brought us into your family, into the kingdom of your son, and we are so grateful. We pray that we would hold that joy that we have in you that we would see it and be inflamed by it and see your heart for us and be overcome so that we can look at those around us who don't know you and feel that same care for them feel that same pull to see them come to know the one who can satisfy We pray that you would not just give us the passion help us to grow in our understanding of how to reach them, give us opportunities, and blot out our fears, because you have said that your Spirit goes with us and that you will work, that you will work through us. Help us to believe that the harvest really is there. And that we're not just beating our head against a wall. Help us to believe, even if we don't see it right away, or ever. Lord, just as a simple, simple request, we pray that in the moments that we've had here this morning, in the ways you stir our mind, and the people you have us thinking about, we ask that there would be people. Who are right now outside the kingdom, who will someday be around the throne with us, worshiping you forever because of how you stirred us up this morning. We ask this, that Jesus' name would be glorified as it truly deserves. Amen. This time we want to transition to the Lord's Supper. I'll invite the worship team to come up. The beauty of the Lord's Supper is that in